saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or the Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or on their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are over, uh, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night until the end of the age. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Then I saw a new heavens and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain the old order of things has passed away. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh God, as we consider this incredibly challenging passage, we pray as always for insight and understanding into who you are and into who we are, and also into that relationship you're calling us into with you, our relationship with each other, and our relationship with with each other. Guide us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hi. Good morning. Everyone doing okay or good afternoon? My watch is dead. I don't know what time it is. 
Glad you're here. Zoomers, we're glad that you're here today. If you've been with us for the last few weeks, you know that we are in the midst of this winter series uh, on questions you asked Google. So religious questions you asked Google. That's the, that's the topic. We've been trying to go through the top ten. And uh, Michelle orchestrated this, this series for us. And she gave me the subject that we're talking about today. Subjects, I should say, of heaven and hell. Easy ones, right? So, tricky, Michelle, thank you very much. But uh, So we're covering two topics today, heaven and health. So we're going to jump right into it because uh, we got a lot of ground, ground to cover. But heaven and hell is our subject today. Zoomers, again, we are glad that you're here and great to see your names on there so we, we can see who is with us and where you're coming from. That is amazing. Well, when we talk about heaven and we talk about hell, our theme today, uh, it does require some imagination because these are things that we are not familiar with. Uh, fortunately, we've never experienced uh, hell, at least hell is described in the Bible, and uh, we've never experienced heaven either. And so this is, requires us to, 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 uh, to imagine a little bit, and Revelation 20 and 21 helps us to do this with this very, uh, uh, this language full of uh, imagery. So uh, again, put on your imagination caps, uh, Bible students consider the, these topics of heaven and hell to be part of the theology or the doctrine of the last days, the last things. And so we're talking about last things, things that happen at the very end of the age, the end of the earth, and uh, heaven and hell. Now, let, let's start just thinking a little bit about uh, the words, heaven and hell. I think that'll, uh, that'll help clear up what we're trying to get at today. And so first of all, we want to talk about heaven. You know, heaven, uh, there are are a couple primary words that are used to, uh, to describe heaven, and uh, they're used in many ways, all right? So you know this. If you've ever read the Bible, you'll hear the Bible talking about the heaven, and it's clearly, clearly talking about the atmosphere of planet Earth. But then there's also the heavens that's, that describe the stars, and it's like the, the universe or our solar system. And then the Bible uses the word heaven to talk about God's government, just like we might hear someone talk about the White House, to say, well, the White House has sent this message. And that's referring to the heavens in the context of, uh, of God's government, right? So when you hear someone talk about the White House, you know that they're talking about the presidential administration and the decisions that they're making. And so sometimes the Bible refers to heaven in that context, referring to God's government. And then there are those times in the Bible when uh, the word heaven is describing the place from which God resides and from which he uh, rules. And so all of those help to shape and craft our understanding of uh, this idea of heaven. And I think what we're most interested in today is that, that idea of heaven that relates to the place from which God resides and rules. And so we'll get to that in a minute. Well, let's also talk a little bit about hell and the language there. A, l- a little more interesting, quite frankly. So uh, the idea of hell is an uh, idea that is cobbled together in the Bible, right? Uh, the term hell is not a biblical word. It, it's an Anglo-Saxon word. In fact, it goes all the way back to Norse mythology. The idea of hell and the word that, that uh, we use to translate the other words in the Bible as hell is a, literally a, a word from Norse myth- mythology that... Uh, talks or, or gives imagery of the, the underworld, this mysterious, uh, mythical place that is part of uh, Norse lore. And so when English translators 
got to the word Gehenna, which is the, the Bible word for hell, uh, they, they use this idea of this North mythology. And so it kind of gets things mixed up because the Norse word hell doesn't really correspond with what Gehenna is, right? So Gehenna is derived from a Hebrew word. It's a, it's a Greek term, but it's kind of a combination of Greek and Hebrew. And it's talking about the Valley of Hinnom, which was in the southern corner of the city of Jerusalem. And in the Old Testament, it was a place where... Uh, the, the uh, pagan gods would be worshipped. But by the time the first century came around, the Valley of Hinnom was a, literally a garbage dump, a steaming garbage dump. So if you were in first century Israel and you wanted to talk about like, uh, uh, the place of death, you talked about the, the garbage heap that was steaming just outside of Jerusalem. And so when the English... Uh, translators went to the Gehenna. They said, what, what, what word can we use to relate to this? And that's where you get uh, the word hell. And so you can see that it's kind of a mismatch of all kinds of uh, different ideas. And then there are these other corresponding ideas. Sheol, which is uh, another word from the Old Testament that, and Hades that are talking specifically about uh, a death. And if you go back way back in Greek mythology outside of the Bible, uh, Hades and Sheol are, again are about like the underworld and, uh, and, and Hades is like the, if you, you're familiar with Greek myth, Hades is like the god of the underworld, right? But th- those are not biblical ideas. So the, 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 the people try, when they were trying to get at the idea of hell as described in the Bible, they used words that related to other ideas. To whether it was the English writers using North mytho- myth, uh, Norse mythology or the Greek writers, and they were trying to get a term that would appropriately de- describe this thing. But really, really, the best explanation is that hell is like a steaming pile of trash outside the city gates. And so this is the concept that we have of, of, of hell. And so a comprehensive theology of hell is actually a little bit hard to, to grasp because the truth is the Bible doesn't talk about it that much, right? There's just not that much about uh, hell in the Bible. There are, there are excerpts here and there, uh, but it's not, a, it's not a subject the Bible spends a lot of time on until you get to Revelation chapter 20. So our text of emphasis today, while not using any of those words, by the way, hell or, uh, or heaven, give the best description of both of those ideas, heaven and and hell. And so we look at Revelation chapter 20 and uh, verse 4. So if you've got a Bible or digi- digital Bible, you can look through this. So we're looking, I'm going to just skim over what we just read in Revelation chapter 24. There's a lot going on. If you've read uh, Revelation before, and by the way, the book is Revelation, not Revelations, a little pet peeve of mine. There's one Revelation, there's not many. Uh, the, it's, the book is literally the full t- the Revelation of Jesus Christ. There's only one of those. All right, not many. So, Revelation chapter 20, there's a lot of imagery, there's some metaphor, there's all kinds of things going on in there, but we can see a, an outline here. In Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4, we see a description of uh, the, the resurrection at the second coming, when Jesus comes again, right? The, those who have uh, uh, died and embraced a relationship with God, they are resurrected. And then we're told that they reign for a thousand years. And that word reign is kind of interesting because it implies uh, uh, an element of judgment. 
that they are, they are reigning, that they are functioning in some way as, as judges. And that happens for a thousand years. And then in Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 through 10, you get this description of a brief period when those who have chosen against God or chosen not to be with God, they are also resurrected. So one group is resurrected at the beginning of the thousand years when Jesus returns, and a thousand years go by, and then, and again, we've got to put on our imagination caps here, right? A thousand years go by, and then the second group is resurrected. Now, you don't want to be in the second group, because things aren't going to go well for them if you were paying attention during the reading. So a thousand years go by, uh, they are face a judgment. Revelation 20 has a lot of judgment. There is a, a judge, there's a, a seat set up, and people literally come before the judge, and their verdict is read. And then Revelation chapter 20, verses 10 through 15, give our, really our best description in the Bible of what we might think of as hell. Let's read it again. Buckle your seatbelts. It says, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. All right, so it's a lake. Uh, a marshland is actually... The, the best description of this. It's a marshland and it's burning stuff. It's a terrible scene. I mean, if you've ever been around sulfur, it stinks, it's disgusting. Again, the idea is it's relating to a, 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 this trash heap in the Valley of Hinnom. And so the devil who deceived them was thrown into this lake of burning sulfur. This is a brutal, brutal scene where the beast and the false prophet had already been thrown. That's a whole other story for another day. If you want to go back and read Revelation, you can. And there's a beast and there's a false prophet. There's all kinds of crazy things going on. But then verse 11 says, then, and this is John, one of Jesus' apostles, and he is relaying what he is seeing in a vision. It says, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. All right, so the, the, the dead, and we know from the passage that these are the people who were resurrected after the thousand years who had decided they didn't want to be with God, and so they're resurrected, and books are opened. And I saw the dead, and great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. So you've got this, the imagery is a, a stack of books or a pile of books and one book. <laughs> uh, one stack has something in it and the other has something else in it. And so uh, the sea gave up the dead. And again, this is imagery, the idea of the sea, those who had died at sea. They, they, the sea gives up the dead that were in it and death and Hades give up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. There's back to this burning marshland. You didn't know what you were getting into when you came today. We're talking about sulfur and marshland and, and stinky piles of trash. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. All right, so this Bible makes it very clear. The second death, that is it. There's no more life after the second death. You, 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 you're in the second death, that's it. It's over. You're done. So this hell, if you will, this burning lake of sulfur leads to a death. It's not something, despite what you've heard, it's not something that just burns on endlessly and, and, and goes on forever. The, the, the result of the fire 
is permanent, but the fire itself is not. And so the lake, the marshland is burning, Every, everybody is going in. Uh, anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life, sadly, was thrown into the lake of fire. It's a sad and disturbing scene. Again, you've got books, you've got a, a judgment seat, and you've got people who have been resurrected, and they are coming before the judgment seat, and they are judged based on their actions that are written in these uh, books. I mean, in one sense, it's incredibly fair, right? This is the God of justice, and the God of justice says, listen, I'm a God of consent. I don't force myself on anyone. So if you want to rely on your own actions in the judgment scene, don't do it, but we'll do it that way because he's a God of justice. The problem is the actions in the books never live up to the justice that the universe requires. And so we're told that those who make that choice, <laughs> their actions are in the book, and they sadly are, th it's a terrible scene. It's a brutal scene. It's one we don't like to dwell on, but that people go and experience the second death. The good news is it, it's, it's the end. They die, it is over, and they are, like, uh, you know, like our atheist friends in this safe, uh, sense, we believe that they're done. There's no more thought or thinking. It's, it's a sad scene, but they are gone, the second death. And so this lake of fire is where all of this happens and takes place. Then death and Hades even are thrown into the lake of fire. So these metaphoric things, death and Hades, they die as well. Everything is destroyed and cleaned in this marshy, sulfuric trash heap. Death and Hades, that great uh, mythic god of the underworld, even they go into the lake of fire. So it's, it's, it's done. All right, so Revelation 20 uh, goes on in verse 15 to say, anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life is thrown into this lake of fire. Again, terrifying scene. The good news is we get to chapter 21. All right, so the, the narrative switches. In chapter 21, we get this description of, even though it doesn't say it, of, of heaven. Uh, and heaven is only a, for, the, for, the, for those who have lived there, it's only a temporary place. But that, that's kind of an interesting note about what we read in Revelation 20 and 21 about this idea of heaven and hell. In one sense, they're both temporary for the, for the participants. So the hell or the burning lake sulfur, that ends and it's over. It's on planet earth and it ends and people experience the second death. Heaven in the same way, it's only a temporary home because in Revelation chapter 21, we get the image of a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth has passed away, and there's no longer any sea. Now, I hang with me here. I, people say, no longer any sea. I want to go to the beach, and how is this going to be possible? Might this sea be talking about, the, the language is very similar, about the lake of burning fire, right? So lake, if you look up the word in Revelation chapter 1, uh, that is described as sea, it also can describe lake. So uh, we know that lake of fire is going to be gone. And so there's no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down. So now it's a much more exciting and, 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 and positive in, uh, energy. The new Jerusalem coming down out of, out of heaven as a bride beautifully dressed for her, her husband. And so th this Revelation 20 and 21 is really the best description you're going to get of heaven 
and hell, even though it's not explicitly using that language. No. Now, I have fulfilled the job that Michelle gave me to talk about uh, heaven and, and hell. All right, so there we go. Revelation 20 is a great uh, place to go. If you want to read more, you can go there. And so we could wind things up here. The challenge, though, is if you are like me, what we've just talked about leads to all kinds of other questions. I mean, I, 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 I want to know more. Okay, I want to know more. And so the first question is, well, um, what is it that really does determine where you end up, right? I want to go back to these, uh, these books. And again, Revelation is pretty clear. It says, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And so I want to know, like, what's going on with the book of life? The dead were judged according to what they had done and what was recorded in the book. There's a book of life. Whoever is in it joins with God and eternal life. Meanwhile, those who are not in the book are judged according to what they've done, and they, sadly, the end is for them. So, you know, again, it's just. You get the opportunity. If you're going to choose to go on your own, your actions will stand up for you, and if your actions are sufficient, then amen to that, but sadly, that is not the case for anyone. And so, this leads many religious people, by the way, as we think about this, to, uh, to understand the idea of heaven and hell in this context, that uh, heaven is for those who live up to the uh, ethical standards of the God of justice in the universe. And hell is for those people who are unable or unwilling to live up to the ethical standards of the great God of justice in the universe. And so, I mean, many traditions, by the way, again, embrace this idea like heaven, because many religious traditions have this idea of either heaven or hell. And you know this, whether it's Christianity or other, other religious movements, uh, many religious uh, systems have used the idea of heaven and hell uh, to horrific means, to, to, to express power over it. If you want to go to heaven, you got to do this, or you got to contribute this to the church, or you got to make sure you show up to these events. Uh, you don't want to go to hell, and you don't want your family members to go to hell, and so there's control and manipulation and all of this rooted in this idea that heaven is about living up to ethical standards of some sort, and hell is the place you go if you are unable to live up to those ethical standards. But this, I think, leads to an even bigger and more important question, and that is this. Why are the concepts of heaven and hell so unsuccessful in compelling humans to actually live up to the ethics that they believe in? Why, why doesn't this work? I mean, here we are now, thousands of years in the human existence. Who knows how many thousands, but a, a long time in the human existence. And uh, things, some things have gotten better, don't get me wrong, but there's a lot of things that aren't getting any better. Even with these ideas of heaven and hell and an end that you would think would motivate someone to get their act together, we still see strife in the world. We still see strife in our own uh, hearts. 
here we are thousands of years into human existence and we're still treating each other poorly. Wars rage. Egos dominate. We abuse each other. We abuse the planet. Heaven and hell is a motivator to be ethical. It's not worked. We're not, we're not becoming more ethical. We seem to keep devolving back into something that we don't want, want to be. And so what is going on? Why has heaven and hell not done what one would think it would do to compel us to act more ethically? I mean, that's the argument for many is like, oh, God designed or the, the whatever being was there has designed these elements to motivate us to be the kind of people that we're supposed to be. You do this, you get the reward. You do this, you get the punishment. Reward and punishment. Well, I've got three responses to why this is unsuccessful. First of all, first response is pretty simple. Um, the truth is there are a lot of misconceptions about uh, heaven and, and hell generally, but also even from the Bible understanding of the idea of heaven and hell. Um, you know, there's a popular perception of uh, heaven that really asserts an idea that it's not all that great, right? I mean, there's only so much sitting around in your mansion that you can do, right? Uh, I mean, yeah, that's good for a, a little while. So I, the Stouts took a vacation last week, and it was very simple. My uh, aunt and uncle, they had a house in the eastern shore of Maryland. And uh, my aunt has passed away. My uncle is now living with his family. And so the house is a beautiful house, and it's just sitting there overlooking an inlet from the bay. And so we went down and, uh, as a family, and we did nothing. I mean, nothing. I looked at a tree like an entire day. I just sat and looked, which I love New York, but sometimes you need to just look at a tree. And I know we have trees in, in uh, Central Park, and I do love to go look at them, but there was something very peaceful about getting up in the morning and just looking at a, at a tree. And so we did as little as absolutely possible. I ambitiously took 182 board games because I'm a little bit of a board game nut and I took them down there and we played all of zero of them and so that was a whole catastrophe but whatever we had we did nothing and it was wonderful for one week a month a year 10 years so, I mean at what point is this mm -hmm. what do, I don't know I mean, that gets uh, a little boring, and so the, the idea that you know, heaven is a place where we go and we just relax and we eat grapes in our palatial mansion, I, yeah, yeah, and, then, and then, oh, by the way, no sex. Uh-oh. No football. No Netflix. How's this sounding? Who's ready? Who's ready for a little heaven in your life? Some of you are like, I'm already in heaven if that's what it is. Bada-boom. You, you all, everybody with me here? Okay. Um, this is not sounding very, uh, very compelling. Now, of course, this is not the biblical idea of heaven. I mean, you read Isaiah who talks about the world to come and he talks about working and justice running freely and you're like, oh, but 
for many, that's not the popular perception. The popular perception, you get a mansion, and you spend the, le- the eternity eating grapes and basically doing nothing. And so well, there's a misconception about heaven. There's also misconceptions about, about uh, hell, by the way, right? Hell, heaven ain't that great. Hell, not that bad. The cool people go to hell. <laughs> Alex, don't make me... Do, okay, all right. Uh, the, the cool people go to hell, or, or like, you know, we've actually experienced hell on earth. Maybe you've experienced something terrible, I mean awful, and you're like, that was hell. Listen, I know some of you have experienced some pretty terrible things. My sister, 21 years old, killed. There's an, there's an inclination to say, like, oh, that was hell, right? Terrible. I know some of you have experienced utterly awful things, but you read what the Bible has to say about a lake of burning sulfur, I don't care what you've been through, it's not that. Terrible. And so misconceptions, one misconception is that heaven isn't that great, and the other misconception is that uh, the hell, even the temporary hell, ain't that bad. You read the Bible story, hell is worse than you think it is. And heaven is better than you can imagine. And so misconceptions about both are a problem. And so that can lead us to be uncompelled about the idea because we're not really convinced about what's going on either way. And, and uh, yet this isn't the, the biblical idea. Heaven is better than you imagine and hell is worse than you want to think about. Death, second death, that's it. No more, no more hope, no more nothing. It's over. And that leads to the second reality. You know, if we think about heaven and hell and the idea that, uh, you know, why aren't we progressing because we have these as motivators, uh, fear, fear of punishment, actually isn't all that effective when it comes to changing the heart. Don't get me wrong. You can create fearful situations that alter people's behavior. We're seeing this in the Ukraine right now. You bomb literally the hell out of a city, and people, are, their behavior is going to change. But you know what? You're not going to change by doing that, changing somebody's heart. See, fear doesn't change the heart. And God is into heart change and heart transformation, and fear just doesn't do that. In the same way, uh, reward doesn't do it either. Yeah. How many of you have been offered a reward for something, and you got real excited right away, and you are like, yes! All I have to do is to fulfill these things. And then into day three, you were like, you know what? Not worth it. I'm going to go back to the couch. Rewards and punishment, they don't make the heart change that we need to see really happen. And so <laughs> thousands of years, these ideas of hell and heaven have been around. And we think, well, they must be motivators to get us to be the kind of people that we need to be and to live up to what we need to, we want to live up to and what the universe wants us to live up to, but they don't work. We still continue to struggle as human beings with ourselves and with relating to each other. So you can try to manipulate situations by creating uh, fear or manipulate situations by creating rewards, but it doesn't, do what's needed to done, do to change the heart. So where does that leave us? 
if hell and heaven aren't effective, and that these are the, 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 the doctrine of last things, these are the last things, well, that's the hope that I would be motivated by something, that I would be compelled by something, that I would become the kind of person that I want to be because of these. And if hell and heaven can't do it, what does it? What's going to compel me to be transformed and changed? Well, this is where we get to Jesus. Jesus has the answer to this. He says in John chapter 12 and verse 32, talking about himself, and I, when I am lifted up, will draw all people to myself. See, Jesus is getting to the heart because he knows that rewards or punishment, that's not what changes the heart. But what does change the heart? Love changes the heart. And so Jesus is like, when I am am held up and lifted up, when I make that sacrificial death for you, people are going to be compelled that have never been compelled before. I, when I am lifted up, will draw people to myself. What Jesus is asserting is that love compels and changes the heart. Love does what punishment will never do. Love does what reward will never do. Jesus goes on to say it like this. This is John chapter 3 and verse 6, 16, one of the most famous passages in all of the Bible. He said, For God so loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus is talking about heaven and hell, by the way. Right? He's talking about perishing. The second death is described by that horrific scene of a sulfuric, temporary lake of fire. But then also eternal life, life with God. God gave His Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, shall not experience the second death, but shall have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. Now we're talking about judgment. It's as if Jesus knew what was going to be written in Revelation chapter 20 and 21. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. Back to the question, well, Book of Life and the other books, what, what, what determines which one are you in? I want to be in the Book of Life. How do you get in the Book of Life? John 3, 16, Jesus says it. Whoever believes in Me will not be condemned. That's it. How do you get in the book of life? Embrace the work of Jesus. Confess faith in Him and believe in Him. That is, your name is then... You have, you have actions that are recorded somewhere, apparently. Books, we use the imagery of books. I don't know, maybe it's a massive database. Maybe it's Salesforce. God has a... God has a contract with Salesforce and he's keeping track of all the actions of, of humanity and there's going to be a judgment and he's going to do toot and he's going to call up Roberto and he's going to be like, I need some help here identifying this and there's going to be a judgment and you're determined by that. I don't know what's going on. This says books. There's books of records and if you choose, a, I want to be judged on my own action, God is like, <laughs> I'm not going to force myself on you. I'm a God of consent. So, Here's your action, let's do it. The ending is not going to be well. But Jesus is saying, whoever believes in him 
has their name written in the book of life. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. All right, so Jesus is talking about what we see in Revelation 20 and 21. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. John, in Revelation 20, says the deeds are going to get out there. There's, there's books, there's Salesforce, there's a d- database, and the deeds are there, but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Like You can come and say, God, I got all this garbage and junk, and you, and you know that, and I may deserve to be in the valley of Hinnom with a trash heap, but Jesus is like, believe in me, and you're in the book of life. Heaven and hell have been used manipulatively to try to compel people to experience change in their life, and almost every religious tradition has done it. But Jesus comes and says, that's not how it works. That's the old order of things, you relying on your own action. The new order of things is, believe in me, and your name goes in the book of life, and then God starts doing his transforming work on the heart that reward or punishment will never accomplish. All of this is rooted in the idea that there is a God, the great God of the universe, who has created this entire thing, that loves us because love is compelling. Love changes heart. I mean, you, when you see a YouTube clip where someone is acting sacrificially, aren't you moved by that? When you see someone who does something for someone else and to not no other gain, that's compelling. And this is the, the story of the great God of the universe who invented the idea of sacrificing for others. For no gain of their own. The great God of the universe, love compels. Punishment, reward, it doesn't work. Hell isn't designed to work that way. Heaven isn't designed to work that way. It's not a carrot at the end of the stick that God keeps in. Oh, <laughs> let me get to heaven. The Apostle Paul, he says it like this Christ love compels us. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14. What compels us? What changes us? What inspires transformation in the heart? Christ's love compels us. We are convinced that one died for all and therefore all have died. When Jesus died, if we embrace his work on our behalf, we too die. The old us dies. Just like there's a, a, a new heaven and a new earth, there's a new us. He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. If anyone is in Christ, and you get in Christ by confessing faith in him, if anyone is in Christ, you're a new creation. That's Paul. Jesus' action, his life, his death, his resurrection compels people because love works better than punishment 
or reward. We're landing the plane. We're going to go back to Revelation. Revelation chapter 21. It's the scene of uh, uh, heaven and earth meeting. And John again says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So there's no more... There's no more sea. There's no more burning sulfur. That is done. That is over. The second death has taken place. The horrific idea, by the way, of an eternal burning hellfire that many of our Christian brothers and sisters have embraced, it's, it's, a, it's a smudge on the character of God. God doesn't do that to people. Punish them indefinitely. He certainly doesn't do it for people who, do, who don't have any uh, choice where to go or not. It's a smudge on God's character, and it's not what the Bible teaches. The earth is made new. There's no more sulfur-burning lake. That is gone. The second death has taken place. Those who have chosen to, add, to, to, to rely on their own actions, they exist no more. It's a sad and heartbreaking theme, but it's justice, and in the end, it's mercy. But Revelation chapter 21 tells us that a new heaven and a new earth has come. And John says, I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Now, I have had the privilege of standing with a number of grooms. It's just the nature of Avon Hope. I see Misael right here. Remember, we stood together, and I was... I should have brought up, if i known you were here, we got to put about the picture, and we stood together, and I was in a full outfit that is hard to describe unless you see it. We'll bring the picture at some time. And uh, Kim, who is right there, you see Kim? She came down the aisle, and the church was beautiful. It was in New Jersey, because they are Jerseyites, and they come all the way over to New York to be here. And Kim, is, and she came down, and everybody stood and Kim, she was a bride, beautifully dressed. You remember this? You had no idea we were going to... I didn't either. We're going full... The, the whole sermon is now hinging around this illustration, so let's hope it, it holds up. So, so, they're, 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 so now, I have a wedding hack for you. Okay, everybody, for good reason, they get up and they turn and the doors open or whatever, the bride appears from you know, somewhere hanging. I mean, the weddings now, it's getting crazy. People, brides fly in from wherever. Anyway, the bride comes in and everybody stands up and they look at the bride. But you really want to, you really want to get it in the heart, you look at the groom. All right? And I remember looking at Miss Ayal because he's standing right here. And nobody else is looking at him because they're all, for good reason, looking at Kim. But I was looking at Miss Ayal and, man, you want to get it in the heart, you look at the groom because the groom is there eyes wide open and a little shaking and I, you have to, I have to tell them like, you got to bend at the knees we don't want anybody flying over or whatever but I mean the, the expectation and the excitement I see Nye and Tanya I could have picked on you guys same thing uh, the expectation the excitement because the groom loves the bride and when they realize this is it it's, the, 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 the time is here. The, the joining together is, 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 is going to be reality. This is the imagery that is given in Revelation chapter 21. God is the groom. And the, the bride, the city that is holding the population, the people that God has been working since the, the beginning, 
since the fall to get back into right relationship with, now God is there and He sees the city and He's that groom who is shaking with excitement that now, as the text tells us, we will live together. God will live with His people. Since the beginning of human history, He hasn't had the opportunity to do that and now all things are made new. This is the imagery that God wants to give us when He gives us the idea of heaven. Heaven is a place with a great God of the universe who could have created more creations if He just wanted more people. But no, He wanted us. And so He stuck it out and the entire Bible narrative is a story of God working through human history to get back in right relationship with His love. And here we are in Revelation 21, the bride and the groom and the excitement and the anticipation and the love and Christ's love is compelling. See, this is compelling. Punishment, it hasn't worked. Reward, hasn't worked. Love works. Love changes the heart. Love transforms And we have a great God of the universe who is calling us into a love relationship with Him. And His invitation is belief. If you believe in Me, you will not perish. You will not experience the second death. But you will will experience life like you've never dreamed of. And so, may you and I find our names written in the book of life as we confess faith in the Lord Jesus. Amen.